It's Labor Day weekend, so let's pray. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for your marvelous work in creation, and we acknowledge to you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you. And we praise you too and thank you for your work in salvation. Father, for planning it out and Jesus for accomplishing the work and Holy Spirit for making it real in our lives. Thank you for working and thank you for making us in your image. You made us to work. Thank you for work. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us and when we work, may we carry out the ministry of work. May we remember that no matter what we do, it's ministry. We serve others with the gifts that you've given to us so much that they actually pay us to do it. We pray that you'd help us to carry out the ministry to work, that we would be deployed as your people into workplaces to renew them and and make them places of honesty and integrity and hard work. And we pray that you would send us out to do the ministry uh, at work, that you would open up opportunities where we work to share Christ with others. We pray now as we open your word that you would forgive the one who speaks for his sins are many and Holy Spirit help us to see Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're taking a break from our study in 1 Peter to to do a hot topic. Um, We had asked you a few weeks, what would you like help on? And kind of what came back is, is several people were saying, we're living in a culture that's going through a moral and spiritual free fall. And there are minefields everywhere. How do we navigate? How do we as Christians live in a culture experiencing a moral and spiritual collapse? How do we do that? And how do we avoid all the minefields that are laid around us? And so today we're going to make it really, really simple for you. We're going to have a point and an action step that are the same. So there's only one thing to remember and one thing to do. What we're going to learn today is how to fix our eyes on Jesus. With all that's going on around us, how to fix our eyes on Jesus and to invite others to come and see him too. Now, it's not just in our culture. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of some uh, well-known Christians who have, the word now is deconstructed. As our culture becomes more hostile toward Christians, some well-known Christians have walked away from their faith. And so we say, well, how do we respond to that as a church? And how do we respond to that uh, as, as disciples of Christ? If we see people leaving their faith, what we're going to learn so, so important today is how to fix our eyes on Jesus, no matter what's happening around us, to fix our eyes on Jesus and to invite others to come and see him too. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11. And if you don't, it's a great idea to bring a Bible and get familiar with it. It's a great book. It's all about Jesus and it smells like him. And I want to set up our passage this morning, 2 Corinthians 11. In about 51 or 52 AD, the Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, goes to the city of Corinth and plants a church. Do you know where Corinth is? Here's a map. And Corinth is right there in the middle. Do you see it? It's in in modern-day Greece. 
So Paul goes there on his second missionary journey. If you want to learn about it, you can go home and read Acts 18. About the first half of the chapter is how Paul goes there and he plants the church. He makes many disciples. He plants the church and then he leaves. And a few years later, about 55 A.D., about 55 A.D., he hears about some troubles in this church that he loves, and he writes 1 Corinthians. He writes 1 Corinthians to help correct those problems. And, and then a little bit later, he hears about more problem that false teachers have moved in, and so he writes 2 Corinthians to, uh, to correct the people so they're not led astray by false teachers. Now, you've heard of an ad hominem attack. That's where you attack the person and not the issue. So what the attack, what was going on in Corinth was these new false teachers were saying, Paul's not a real apostle. He's not a real apostle, and, and, and he can't even talk very well. So if you read 2 Corinthians, a whole lot of 2 Corinthians is Paul defending the fact that he's a real apostle. Now we pick up the story. In 2 Corinthians 11... Paul writes, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. And the foolishness is, Paul says, bear with me as I explain to you that I'm really, really an apostle. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present to you as a pure virgin. If you want to see Paul's heart, here it is. Paul says, I planted the church in Corinth, I love you, and my great desire is to hand you over to Jesus as his bride one day. And I want you to know that's my heart for you. I, I love this church, I've given my life to this church, and what I long to do is to present you as the bride of Christ to Jesus one day. And so Paul is saying that in order to do that, the people must not be led astray. And listen, with all the things happening in our culture, I don't want you to be led astray either. Notice what he says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Here's what he's saying. Listen, with everything swirling around you, fix our eyes on Jesus. Listen, don't take your eyes off of Jesus and invite others. Invite others to come and see him too. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus uh, whom we have not received, if someone tells you about a different Jesus, listen, don't listen to them. Or you receive a different spirit which you've not received. If someone talks about a spirit other than the Holy Spirit, don't listen to them. Or a different gospel which you've not accepted. If someone comes and preaches a different gospel, don't be led astray. You bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Um, he, say, he says it's true. I didn't walk with Jesus all the time like the other apostles, but I'm still an apostle. I know Jesus. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Paul says it's true. I'm not the best public speaker there is, but everything I've taught you about Jesus is true. So, we're going to spend a good bit of time in verses 3 and 4. Um, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. I love the Bible. And I love the Bible because it's a book about Jesus. And I love the Bible because it's one book 
that, that's about one person, Jesus, even though it was written over 1,500 years. The book's written over 1,500 years, but it's just one story. I mean, how many people do you know who, if they talk five minutes, they get all confused in what they're saying, right? So right here, we read about a serpent, the devil, who's deceiving. We go to the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis 3, what do we read? Now, the serpent. The Bible begins with the serpent, and the serpent's in 2 Corinthians 11. We're about to find out the serpent's in the last book of the Bible, too. Now, the serpent, the devil, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So we meet our enemy, the devil, a serpent who is a deceiver. We read about him in 2 Corinthians 11. We come to the last book in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old. Isn't that interesting? The one we read about in Genesis 3, the one we read about in 2 Corinthians 11, right here, the serpent of old, who is called the devil. What are his names? The devil and Satan. And what does he do? Who deceives the whole world. He's a deceiver, a liar. He's crafty. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So I want you to know, so that we're not led astray, we have an enemy who is a deceiver. His name is Satan, and I know some of you you're too sophisticated for that, right? You say, you don't really believe in the devil, do you? And, and I want you to know I do, and the reason I do is, the reason I'm a Christian is because the, the, the Jesus, the Bible makes sense out of the world I live in. So if you don't believe the devil is real, let me just ask you a question. As you look around the world today, do you see any evidence that the devil and evil exist? Any evidence of that? Do you see that? You guys awake? You see that? Yes. And, okay, let's look back in history. Let's look back in history. If we look back in history, is there any evidence in human history that the devil is real? Is there any evidence? Isn't history a long story of rape and domestic violence and racism and murder and war, isn't it? Why? All right, moving. Why is it so easy to be critical or to, to be unforgiving? Why is it so easy to do wrong? Why is it so hard to forgive? Why is it so hard to love? Why is it so hard to encourage? You know why? Because we have an enemy. We have an enemy. His name is the devil or Satan. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now, I want you to understand something. We have an enemy, the devil. In our divided culture, the people we disagree with, the people we disagree with morally or politically or spiritually, they are not our enemy. They are held captive by our enemy. They've been deceived by our enemy. And the reason we're on earth, the reason we're here on earth is to preach the gospel to them and set them free from the one who's deceived them. When they hear the gospel, the Bible says God grants them repentance. They come to their senses and they escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Listen, people we disagree with, they're not our enemy. They're held captive by our enemy who has deceived them. Our mission is to set them free. 
But I want you to know the deceiver not only deceives others, he seeks to deceive us. I want you to understand our enemy. Notice I'm afraid that as the servant deceived. Our enemy is a deceiver. Satan's power is not like strength. It's not strength. He's a liar. He's the deceiver. The battle is for our thoughts. What he works with is lies and deceit. The servant deceived Eve by his craftiness. That your minds, see it's about our thoughts, would be led away from the simplicity and purity of devotion uh, to Christ. So let's go back to Eve, right? So how did the serpent deceive Eve? The first thing that he said was what? Has God said? The first thing that he does is he questions God's word. You sure God said that? The second thing that he did was he questioned God's goodness. He said, has God said you can't eat from any tree in the garden? God is a killjoy. He's trying to keep you from having fun. Do you know what deceivers do? They get our eyes off the main thing. And, and, and listen, he got, look at that rule. The reality was what? The reality was God made everything good. There was paradise on earth. There was paradise on earth. And God walked with man in paradise. And not only that, it was all yeses. It was all yeses and one no. What did Satan do? He deceived, he focused in on the one no, right? And then he, and then he made it bigger, right? God said, you can't eat from any tree. I know they would eat and that would wreck everything, right? Satan never changes his tactics. Do you know what he does to us today? He questions God's word, right? He says, has God said? You don't believe that book, do you? It was written by people a long time. It's, it, it's not God's word. You don't believe what it says about creation. You don't believe what it says about one way to God. You don't believe that, do you? He questions God's word and then he questioned God's goodness. Do you know, God just wants to keep you from having fun. That's what God is a kill. He wants to keep you from having fun, right? Now, we might not say that, but deep down, don't we believe that? The person asked a little boy, says, uh, who is God? And the little boy said, God is someone who sits up in heaven and he looks around to see if anyone's having fun. And if he sees anyone having fun, he makes them stop. And so I want you to know, there is someone who wants to steal your joy. His name is Satan. He is the devil. Jesus is the joy giver. The fruit of the Spirit, come on with me, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love what? Joy. Joy. Jesus is not the joy stealer. Satan is the joy stealer, but he tries to deceive us. Um, he wants to get our eyes off of a pure and simple devotion to Jesus. So if he is a liar and he deals in lies and deceit, how can we keep from being deceived? The way we keep from being deceived is to know the truth, right? When we know the truth, we can spot the lies. It's like training someone to spot counterfeit money. If I was training people how to spot counterfeit money, I would show them all this different good counterfeit money. Look at all of this. But you know, that's not what they do. What they do is teach someone what a real Benjamin looks like, right? This is what a real $100 bill looks like. And if you know what the real thing looks like, what, then you can spot, listen, that's not it, that's not it, those are counterfeit. 
And that's what Paul is writing in verse 4. If you know Jesus and someone comes and preaches another Jesus, you'll say, that's not Jesus. And when you know Jesus, that he's given you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves to exalt Jesus, and someone talks about a spirit that doesn't exalt Jesus, you say, that's not the Holy Spirit. And when you know the gospel, when you know the gospel, and someone comes and preaches a different gospel, and you know the gospel, you can say, that's not the gospel. So I want to equip you to know Jesus so you can spot the counterfeits and the lies and the deceptions of the evil one. That's why today we're learning how to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then how to invite others to come and see him too. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to John 14. You need to know this verse. If you want to keep from being deceived, if you want to be able to invite others to come and see Jesus too, this is a verse that takes you like three minutes to memorize. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If we want to not be deceived, uh, then, then we need to fix our eyes on Jesus as the way, and the truth, and the life, and then uh, invite others to come and know the way, and know the truth, and know the life. So let's start with fixing our eyes on Jesus uh, with being the way. Notice what he says, I am the way. Notice what he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. That offends people today. Well, it's always been offensive. Do you know why Jesus is the only way? Because we have a problem called sin. It's true of all of us. The bad news of the gospel is that every one of us is has sinned against God. We live in a culture that says that some of us have a skin problem. But the Bible says we have a universal sin problem, that every one of us has sinned against God over and over again. And what we deserve for what we have done is hell. We deserve to be separated from God and all good things forever. And when you understand the bad news, we have a problem called sin. The good news is really good. There's a way. There's a way. There's a way for sinners to be forgiven. There's a way for sinners to live with God forever. How, how, how? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Do you know why he's the way? Because he's unique. He's God who became a man. He's unique. He's fully God and fully man. That's why he's the way. Do you know why he's the way? He's the only one who could die for our sins. He lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross. As a man, he could die in our place and be our substitute. As God, his death would be of infinite value. So he, to provide the way, took our sins on himself, died in our place, why is he the way? Because he rose from the grave. Who else has done that? He rose from the grave proving he had conquered sin and death and he offers us eternal life. And how do we get eternal life? By believing in him. Notice what he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He doesn't say you're doing really hard, just try it a little harder and you can get there. He doesn't say anything about what we do. He says what we need to do is to believe in him. And believing in him is as simple as A, B, C, uh, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, won't you do that now? 
or I'd be glad to help you when we close in prayer. But how do we get to the Father through Jesus? It starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Won't you do that? And, and then we believe, Jesus, I believe you're the way. You're the way. You died and rose for me. And then we commit to Jesus as Savior. I'm not going to trust in myself anymore. I'm going to trust what you did for me on the cross. Jesus, forgive me. Give me eternal life. It means we trust him as Lord. Jesus, I want you to take over. And from this day forward, as you give me strength, I'll follow you, won't you? Fix our eyes on Jesus. And then invite others to come, to come and, and see him too. So if we're going to do that, we need to learn how to fix our eyes on Jesus, that he's the way. And you say, well, how do we do that? Isn't that why we're here today? Why did we gather today to fix our eyes on Jesus in song? to fix our eyes on Jesus in prayer, to fix our eyes on Jesus in our giving, to fix our eyes on Jesus in hearing God's word. In a few moments, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Why do we do that? So that we're not led astray. We fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can go then and invite others to come and see him too. <clears throat> Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Do you know what that means? It's so important we understand the person and work of Christ. Jesus is the way. He's fully God and fully man in one person. Listen, he's fully God and fully man. So if you're listening, if you're listening to a teacher and he stresses that Jesus is man, fully man, but he's not God, what do you know about the person? He's a false teacher. If you hear a teacher and he says Jesus is fully God, but he's not a man, what do you know? He's a false teacher, so don't be led astray. His work, he came to save us, right? Now, once he saves us, he does become our model and say, follow me. But if you listen to someone and they just say, listen, just, just follow Jesus, you know you're listening to a false teacher because we can't. We need to be saved in order to follow him. It's so important that we know who Jesus is and what he did so we're not led astray and then we can invite others, come and meet him, right? Oh, it's so important to focus on Jesus as the way means that we need to know the gospel. And of all people, you should know the gospel, right? You hear it every week. It has what? It has what? It has bad news, right? And it has what? Good news, right? And it has our part to respond, right? So you're listening to a teacher. You're listening to a teacher, and it's all bad news. There's no good news. What do you know about the teacher? What? They're what? They're a false teacher. You go to a church, you listen to someone, and it's all good news. It's all good news, but they never talk about sin. They never talk about hell. What do you know? It's a false teacher, Listen, there's bad news, there's good news, and then we invite people to respond, right? You need to know that so you're not led astray. But you also need to know it too, right? That, uh, listen, when we go out in the world, into a broken world, do you, do you think we'll be talking about brokenness this world? May, this week, maybe the subject of race comes up, right? And, and people are saying, well, why can't people get along? Why don't we just ask them, what do you think the problem is? What do you think the problem is? What do you think the solution is? Invite them to come and say, listen, Jesus says the problem's inside of us. The problem's in us. The solution's outside of us. What we need is Jesus, right? Uh, how, about, how about death? Um, 
It's in the news all the time now with COVID, right? You think the subject will come up? Uh, what a great chance when you know the gospel just to ask someone, what do you think happens to someone when they die? Isn't that a good question? Or when someone dies, of just saying, I wonder if they were prepared. And, and then if they ask you back, uh, listen, then, then bring them to Jesus. Bring them to John 14, 6. Invite them to read it. What did Jesus say? He said what? I am the way and the truth and the life. You can do it. You can. You really can. Uh, so we fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the way, right? And then, then we invite others to come and see him too. Oh, and then the next step is to learn how to fix our eyes on Jesus as the truth. The truth. He said, I am the truth. Oh, man. In our time of moral confusion and so many voices, I love the truth. Don't you? We hear so many voices, and I just want to say, won't someone just tell me the truth? Do you know we know the truth? Jesus said what? I am the truth. Hallelujah. In a morally confused culture, in a spiritually confused culture, we have truth. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, listen to Colossians 2. This is so good. In whom? In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Can you imagine what this room would look like if we believe that? Can you? Why do we provide the study for you? Why do we get, encourage you to get up and to read the Word and to pray the Word and to share the Word because we are convinced that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and we want you to be wise. We want you to know Him so you're not led astray so you can go and bring others to Him. What if we believe that Jesus is the truth? What would our lives look like if we believed in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Um, we get up and we read his word and we pray his word and share his word because we want to know the truth. Oh, I've taught you this over and over again, but I want to equip you because I don't want you to be led astray. Listen, when we look at Jesus, the Bible is one story. It's called the gospel. And it's not just the story of the Bible. It's the story of human history. It's the story of history. And it has four chapters. It has creation and fall and redemption and consummation. And if you don't want to be led astray, you need to know it. And if you want to be able to help others, you need to know the story of creation and fall and redemption and consummation. Because it answers the question. It answers the question, where did everything come from, right? You know, right? Chapter 1, creation, God made everything, right? You've heard this before, right? And, and then, well, what went wrong? Chapter 2, the fall, man, sin, erect everything. Chapter 3, how do we fix it? Redemption, we can't, but Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Listen, uh, chapter 4, consummation, where is history headed? If you know it, then you won't be led astray by all the lies in our culture. But not only that, it will open up so many opportunities for you to invite others to come and see Jesus. You're up early in the morning, and you're out surfing, and the sun comes up, and it's gorgeous. So what do you ask? Where did this all come from, right? Where did it come from? Invite them to come and see. 
This week when people are talking about why is the world so broken? Invite them to come and see Jesus. When people ask, how do we fix the brokenness in our culture? Invite them to come and see Jesus, right? Jesus is the truth. The reason we provide you a study, there's a disciple-making map. It talks about when we're one to Christ. It's very important we learn from Jesus the answer to five really important questions in life. Identity and community and purpose and money and hope. They're really important. When we want to know who we are, do we come to Jesus? Who am I? I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. Community, where do I belong? Not in our culture. I belong in his church. Purpose, why am I here? I'm here to make disciples who can make disciples. Money, what would Jesus have me to give? He'd have me to start with 10% and be radically generous. Hope, where are we going? Where am I going? I'm going to be with Jesus forever. When you understand the answers to those five questions from Jesus, you won't be led astray by the deceiver. And not only that, but you'll be equipped to have so many gospel conversations. When you have a conversation with someone about identity, invite them to come and see Jesus. When someone says, I don't feel at home in our culture anymore, say, I don't either. Invite them to come and see Jesus. You can do it. Oh, what if we believed that Jesus is the truth? Let me ask you a question. How do you know what's true? How do you know what's true? I've, I've taught you this many times, but I want you to know this because I don't want you to be deceived. Pay attention. I want you to know this so that you're able to bring others to Jesus. How do you know something is true? There is the standard of truth. The standard of truth is Jesus. He said, I am the truth. Everything that conforms to the standard is true and right. Everything that deviates from the standard is wrong and false. Next, there's the evidence of truth. The evidence of truth is does it conform to reality? Things that are true conform to reality. We need to know the standard and the evidence. Let me ask you a question. Why is love right? Why is love a good thing? Why? Here's why. It conforms to the standard. Jesus is love. That's why love is good and right. Not only that, but it conforms to reality. It's beautiful when you see a husband love his wife, or parents love their children, right? Or you see neighbor, that's beautiful, isn't it? How do you know love is right? Because it conforms to the standard and also to reality, right? Let me ask you another question. Why is lying wrong? I mean, we teach our kids not to lie, but why is lying wrong? Here's why. It doesn't conform to the standard. Jesus is the, what? He's the truth. So lying what? It deviates from the standard. That's why it's wrong. That's the standard. How about the evidence? When, when husbands and wives lie to one another, how does that work? When pastors lie to the people in their church, how does that work? When the civil government lies to its own people, what happens? No one trusts the government, right? You see, there is the standard of truth and there's the evidence of truth. And we find ourselves in a culture, in a moral and spiritual freefall. What should we do? We should run to Jesus, right? 
to find out the truth. Could we say that marriage and sex and things like that are hot topics in our culture? Do we run to Jesus or do we listen to our culture? Do we run to Jesus and say, what does your word teach? I love this in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking. They didn't care. They were testing him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read? I love Jesus. He responds to questions with a question. They ask him a question. He asked the religious leaders of his day, have you ever read the Bible? But notice what he says for the issues of our time. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? Do you know why I believe in creation? I believe in creation because Jesus does and Jesus was there. I mean, that's a good idea. When you want to know where everything came from, to listen to the one who was there. Doesn't seem like a good idea? Then notice this, that he who created from the beginning made them male and female. We live in a very confused culture. The Bible makes it very simple. People are made in God's image, two sexes, male and female. And he said, for this reason, we're male and female for a purpose. God made us for a purpose. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God instituted marriage. God instituted. It's not something the Supreme Court thought up and defined. God did from the very beginning. So, if we want to know what marriage is, we go to the standard, right? And the standard is Jesus and his word. He says, one man, one woman for life. And then there's the evidence of truth. So here's the question. How do we know that's true and right? If everyone was married, one man and one woman for life, would that work? Would that be good for society? Are you guys there? Would that be good? It would. It would be good. It would be good for men. It would be good for women. It would be good for children. They'd grow up with their mom and dad. Imagine that. It would be good for society, wouldn't it? It would be good for everyone. So we live in a culture that comes to us and will ask us the question, so what do you think, and I'm going to say so-called because it's not marriage, but what do you think about so-called same-sex marriage? How do you respond? Well, the best way is to ask them back, well, what do you think? Listen, this is important. What do you, and then ask them, has that always been your thinking? And then ask them, what changed your mind? What changed your thinking? And then ask the really important question, how do you know you're right? And then, if they ask you back, remember Matthew 19. Come and see what Jesus said. And then you invite them to come. You invite them to come and see the standard. But then you show them the evidence. If someone asks you, then you say, well, listen, if every marriage was a so-called same-sex marriage, how would that work? How would that work? You guys there, it would what? It would lead to human extinction. It would because it's not right and it's not true. But if every marriage was one man and one woman, it would lead to human flourishing. That's how you know it's right. That's how you know it's true. Because of the standard and the evidence. Uh, 
so important we fix our eyes on Jesus. Invite others to, to come and see him too. He's the way. He's the truth. And now the best of all, he's the life. Do you know in my Christian journey, first Jesus was the way, and then I discovered he's the truth. But do you know what I know now? He's the life. He's the life. Jesus said some rather difficult things, um, and a lot of his disciples left. Uh, we're going to see a lot of that in the days ahead. As it becomes more and more hostile in our culture toward Christ, people will walk away. And, and I think we need to make a decision, what are we going to do? And um, in John 6, verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Uh, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love it. Where are we going to go? You have words of eternal life. Um, has anybody ever told you none of us are getting out of this alive? Did you know that? Do you know I'm a pastor and I do lots and lots and lots of funerals. And when I hear about Christians who are deconstructing their faith, I wonder, what's your plan for eternity? What's your plan? You know why I'm not going anywhere? Jesus is my only hope. Do you know that religion says that, you know, you can go to heaven if you're good? I don't stand a chance. I'm so rotten and so flawed the only chance I have for heaven is Jesus. I'm not letting go because where else am I going to go? Listen, Jesus came that we might have life and might have it abundantly. Do you know why we get up and read the word and pray the word and share the word? So we can discover verses like Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. I mean, we get to get up and fix our eyes on Jesus. And what does he say? He says, he says, listen, follow me. I'll show you the path of life. How many of you want the path of life? I do. I don't want the path of death. Do you? And, and, and then he says, listen, in my presence there's fullness of joy. I want more joy, don't you? He says, follow me. And then he says, in your right hand there are pleasures. Listen, I've got pleasures forever. Follow me. Um, so listen, we focus, fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the life, right? And then we invite others. When we're with someone and they talk about there's got to be more to life than this. We can say, right? There is. There is. Let me show you a verse. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Oh, this week I was reminded I have the best job ever. Wasn't Ephesians good this week, all those reading through the news? It wasn't good. And in Ephesians chapter 3, look at what I found. In Ephesians 3, verse 8, the apostle Paul wrote, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul says, I was wasting my life. I was putting people to death, and Jesus saved me. And now I get to, I get to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. <laughs> Do you know I was wasting my life, and Jesus was so gracious he saved me. 
And do you know what I get to do every week? Every week of my life, I get to get, I get, to get up and look at Jesus all week long. And I get to explore the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then Sunday comes, and do you know what I get to do? I get to show you the unfathomable riches of Christ. And do you know what we want you to do every day? Every day we want you to get up and say, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to do this. I get to look at Jesus. I get to see how unfathomably rich I am in him. And then once we're filled up, then we get to go out and share with others how amazing he is. You can do it. You know him. You've been equipped. You have the Holy Spirit. You can do it. I know somebody, I can't do it very well. So one more story and then we're out of here. Well, actually, then the Lord's Supper. But one last story. Charles Spurgeon, this great Baptist preacher, and one Sunday he's supposed to preach in a church, and he's late getting there. And uh, so his grandfather, also a pastor, gets up and starts preaching. And, and then Charles Spurgeon comes in and starts walking down the aisle. His grandfather says, here comes Charles Spurgeon. Everybody's looking at Charles, not the grandfather. Here comes Charles Spurgeon. He can preach the gospel better than me but he can never preach a better gospel than me. Listen, there's lots of people who can preach the gospel better than you and me, so many people. But you know what? There is no one who can preach a better gospel than you and I can. Our calling is to get up and spend time with Jesus and explore the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then we get to, we get to go out and invite others to come and see him too. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came <clears throat> to, to provide the way for sinners like me for sinners like all of us to be forgiven and live forever. Thank you for dying and rising and offering us eternal life. Listen, if you've never received this gift, if you've never believed in Jesus, won't you? Where you are, won't you just admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and woes. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done this for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who have believed in you, that we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus, this week, and that we would invite others to come and, and see you too, that we would see you as the way and invite others to the way that we would see you as the truth, and invite others to come and know the truth, that we would see you as the life, and invite others to come and have life with you too. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.